This is the Child Discipleship Podcast powered by Awana. My name is Ross Cochran, and I am so glad that you're here. We have a really special episode for you today. I'm going to bring you part of a conversation that Melanie Hester, Director of Discipleship Insight at Awana, had with Felicia Masonheimer. Felicia is an author, a speaker, and the founder of a ministry called Every Woman a Theologian. And you can check out the full version of this conversation on childdiscipleship.com right now via the show notes. I'm only giving you part of this conversation on the podcast because I want you to go watch the video. Felicia and Melanie cover a lot of ground. And to be clear, it's not just a conversation for women. So all of you, make sure you're listening. Melanie's going to start things off. I'm glad you're here. This is the Child Discipleship Podcast. Women are such an integral part of the discipleship of children, not holistically, but a key integral part of it. And one of the things that we have found at Awana is that almost three quarters of our leaders that work in the church tend to be women. Mm-hmm. And that that is that is a, a, a key, just important place that these women are choosing to faithfully pass down faith to the children that they serve. And that's not always in their homes either. That right. that then some of those women also have children in their homes. But in the church, whether it's the grandmas and, and the moms or the aunties, women across the board are stepping up to disciple children. And so I wonder for you, what has it looked like for you to have this understanding of theology as you disciple the children in your life? Mm. Well, it's, it's such an advantage. And I love what you said about women being in these discipleship roles, because it's true. Women are so often the, the primary presence in children's ministry and often in teaching roles. And if they're home with their kids, stay at home moms, discipling their kids. Mm -hmm. This is an enormous pastoral role. If you want to look at it as pastoring, as shepherding, because that's what the word means, shepherding. It's a shepherding role. You're discipling people. So when we think of a pastor, we think, yeah, he should be theologically trained. He's shepherding people. But then when it comes to women discipling children, shepherding them, pastoring them, we'll often say, well, well, they they aren't going to seminary or they're not going to be speaking on a stage, so they don't actually need it. When that's Mm. the opposite, (laughs) you know, I even... Even, and I'll answer your question more directly in a second, but even in scripture, when Paul is, is saying in this, the passage that people get most upset about, he says the women should be silent. The primary reason he said the women should be silent was because they weren't theologically trained. Mm-hmm. That was the issue. They were standing up and they were saying things that weren't mm-hmm. actually true or relevant in that particular culture and time and church. And he was yeah. saying, go get theologically trained at the time it was from their husbands. And then (laughs) you can be a teaching and contributing and prophesying and praying member of this church. We need theology as women in order to do this discipleship work, which you've already said. So for me, the way theology has helped me is in my conversations around the dinner table with my own children, my own children, their questions that they ask mom, why did Adam and Eve sin like couldn't god have started over Mm. mom why why can't we see god or how could god be three in one that doesn't make any sense 
mm-hmm. huge theological questions that lots of kids ask. And, you know, I have to sometimes say, you know what, I have to go research that. <laughs> I don't know the answer. But then in other um, places outside my home, um, we have a lot of close friends with wonderful children. I teach in our homeschool group and I have eight students that I teach that are ages nine to 11. And we even have theological discussions where they Mm -hmm. bring stuff up, like the relationship between faith and politics. We've talked about that in our classes. Um, Just doing life alongside your friends, children, your nieces and nephews, your own children. There's going to be things that come up and they're going to have questions and your theology is integral to helping shape their future theology. Yeah. Yeah. I love, you know, it's like God designed it this way, having a male speaking into a child, having a female speaking into a child, discipling them in the ways that God's created them to. And, and what, you know, what that looks like is women, exactly the reason your ministry exists is feeling more confident to live their faith boldly with the children and the people in the world that they exist in. Um, and so one of the things I I love about what that looks like is, is seeing the future for like, like, just like, imagine this with me for a minute, right? Like imagine a world where the men and women in a child's life are both so connected and confidently living in what scripture has to say that children are able to then take that understand wrestle just like you did as a child and then continue to do that in the children that they then disciple someday Mm -hmm. right yes yes and you're handing down instead of a diluted gospel or diluted bible you're handing down the truth unadulterated in its whole form. And then they have something to hand down again, that is true and life-changing, but it, I mean, it does take work, you know, I'm not going to lie to anybody that it does take being willing to study, being willing to read and invest some time, but it's the most worthwhile work you'll ever do because you are actually not only learning how to draw near to God yourself, but you are partnering with him in the shaping of souls that live eternally. And that is, that's like the best work there is. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, um, one of the things that I found in your book that was just so helpful was that you don't necessarily tell women what to think. You will take a specific idea or topic. You will share. This is what this particular theological kind of viewing looks at it. This is how another one looks at it. And you don't, like you very much could have just said, here's what I think and moved on. Yet you leave it open for women to be able to choose themselves. Tell me why you did that. Well, one of the reasons is I believe that in teaching critical thinking, it's more important to teach someone how to think than what to think. Because if you teach them how to think, then they will have that strength of discernment when they go out and see other viewpoints on social media and other ideas that are out there, they'll be able to wrestle with those and navigate them with greater wisdom. If I just tell them this is the only way, then when they see a different way, they'll either think, Oh, 
I'm wrong, or maybe I'm super right, you know, instead of being able to navigate it with wisdom. So that's one reason. The other reason is I want people to know the diversity of the Christian church and the variety of viewpoints that we have within it. Now, that doesn't mean that certain things aren't true. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that are absolutely true in Christianity. And we call those, you know, the hills to die on, if yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there are other things that are just differences of practice and different viewpoints and convictions and being able to give grace for those is very important to unity. So that's a big reason why I try to teach them the variety of views within Christianity, because then when they go out and they meet someone from that denomination or that persuasion, they'll have a much more productive conversation and they hopefully will be able to build in stronger discipleship yeah. with that person or with anyone. They'll be able to actually walk with them in their faith instead of getting into this battle of theological viewpoints. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Before we go any further, I need to talk to y'all about Bright. Those of you who know Awana know that we develop curriculum, but before the team made Bright, they asked leaders in child discipleship what the most important thing was to them in a curriculum. 67% of respondents said that a curriculum that is biblically based is the most important factor in choosing resources. I'm not that good at math, but that's two thirds of people agreeing on something. This biblical foundation is what our kids need. And with a bright subscription, you get a year of child discipleship curriculum that includes lessons that teach the gospel each week while following a chronological scope and sequence that starts with creation, teaches the fall, reveals redemption, and looks forward and upward to restoration. And with bright, it's easier because everything you need is in one spot. Each Bible lesson is brimming with options for use in both large and small group child discipleship. You'll find high energy, teacher-led activities and media for large group and age-appropriate scripture. You won't find yourself just teaching Bible stories. You'll be teaching the story of the Bible and scriptures that kids will commit to memory and take to heart. Subscribe to Bright this month with code DISCIPLE and get 25% off a full year of curriculum. Learn more at brightcurriculum.com. I love that it kind of creates this space around helping them to just, this sounds so simplistic, but our culture does not help people to think for themselves, mm -hmm. right? It's a regurgitation. And um, there's something about creating space for being like, okay, this is like our last stand. You know, like this is the thing we're putting a stake in the ground of our Alamo for, so to speak, right? This is, this is where we're going to camp out and say, because this is what the Bible has to say. And then there are things that then we're going to work out and, and have conversations and, and robust dialogue. And so I'm gonna drill down on this here for a second. How would you encourage the person who's discipling kids to help begin to um, developmentally appropriately, right? walk through knowing how to balance this, the things that this is for sure, and these things have a little bit more discourse around. So the way I do this, and this is by no means the only way, but the way that I do this, having been a college advisor, so working with teens mm -hmm. and early twenties 
and then being in college ministry for three years and now having really young kids. So I have a little experience with older and younger with the young kids. It's most helpful to stick to the things that are, are absolutely true. Mm. You're basically just showing them. These are the pillars. You're not getting super into the weeds on a lot of stuff. The 10 commandments, Genesis one through three, which is creation, Mm. you know, corruption, the fall image of God, these really big principles that are through the whole Bible. We're sticking to kind of those, if you want to think of it as painting, like these giant brush strokes, yeah. truth that are absolutely true. I'm not going to be teaching my eight-year-old the different ways that people baptize unless sure. we, you know, get invited to an infant baptism because our friend is Anglican, then maybe we talk about it. But as a general rule, I'm not introducing all these alternative ideas really, really young. I'm just teaching the core, the basics. But then as they get to 10, 11, 12, that's when I would start saying, okay, let's look at this, this idea of being made in the image of God. How do you think that plays out in today's culture? What, what areas of politics or media, do you see this, this issue? And that would then open doors to have conversations about sexuality and abortion and race and all of those things that we see today. And then of course, as they get older and older, you're having even more um, nuanced conversations about those things. So you're never departing from what's absolutely true. You're just showing them a more direct application for what is true as they get older and as they understand more of the world, more of their body, et cetera. Um, and that again, is not the only way to do that, but that's how I tend to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, um, research put out by Barna, which is a research company that talks about how the worldview of a child is set by the time they're 13. Yes. Right. And so it's so wild, right? So what you're just describing here, and I love that you, um, gently, this is not prescriptive, right? But you gently put ages around that and, and you put ages before that window of 13, because if you look at the structure of our churches, we tend to not introduce that type of thinking until they're really more towards the end of middle school and high school. And at that point, what we're seeing is like their worldview is already set at that point. And so these conversations have to start way back before, again, developmentally appropriate, that eight to 10 years of age, when they can start to see the world around them and they can begin to connect it with what they've been taught the Bible says. Yes. Yes. That I saw that study too. And it blew my mind because Mm -hmm. he also said, Barna also said in that study that many children have shaped their view of God mm-hmm. by eight mm-hmm. or nine. Yes, they, and yep. then their worldview is set at 13. Yep. And that was wild to me because I thought eight or nine, that is so young. Yeah. But if their whole first eight, nine years, God is like this vague entity, or he's just not talked about, there's no specifics. It's very difficult to yep. then fit him into a framework when you're nine to 13, you know, where does he come in? And that's why, um, if there's one place to really concentrate your energy in those first eight years, I always say Genesis one through three, because it gives you all of the setup for the gospel story in those three chapters Mm -hmm. and points us to the redemption that's coming. 
and Mm -hmm. shows us the importance of being image bearers of God and where our identity is found. And so we actually spent, we've spent most of our time for the last seven years in those three chapters. (laughs) That's, that's incredible. And yes, it's this, it's this sense of, I want to kind of give this disclaimer. These stats don't mean that a child can't have a a fixed worldview of God. Felicia, neither one of us are saying that at all. But what, what data tells us is that trends seem to lead us to saying that children will have their worldview set by 13 and their view of who God is. And then also in retrospect to hit them set, you know, in that early eight to nine years of age. And so there's, this is why I do what I do. This is why Awana exists is to help equip leaders to reach kids with the gospel and then follow after Jesus. And so uh, Felicia, I would just, my, last question to you would just be like, what is, what are we losing? What's at stake? If we don't have women, men, children, as they continue to grow up, who have a robust understanding of basic theology. Really the thing that we're losing the most is intimacy with God. Mm. And I know that sounds like counterintuitive because you might be thinking, well, theology involves my brain. It doesn't involve like my heart, but Mm. it actually does because you cannot have faith in someone you don't know. Mm. You, you cannot teach a child to love a God that you don't actually know or love. And oftentimes what happens is we have this vague idea of who God is because we don't challenge our theology. And then as we're teaching to a child, I think we're challenged to ask, do I really believe what I'm teaching? And has it really met me in my heart? Because C.S. Lewis said this, doctrine leads to devotion. Mm. Theology should lead to intimacy with God. So if you want to teach the next generation to truly love God, know God well for yourself and love him deeply for yourself, and you can't help but translate that to the kids. Yeah. You know, this is, it reminds me of the old Testament talking about how we're just one generation away from forgetting the works of the Lord, Mm. you know, like, like, and, and it's, it was specifically talking about the Israelites though. This is a, this is an encouragement for culture in general that like, and the next generation did not know the works that the Lord had done. Right. Like that is what is potentially going to be our reality when we don't know specifically the works of the Lord and and how he is so desiring to be with us as his creatures, as his, his humans made in his image, but also in the basic understanding that he can give us of who he is and how we can interact with his creation and the words that he's left us. Um, for the sake of our children, right. For the sake of who we are as disciples of Jesus, may we all grow every day to yearn to be with him and just take that first step. What was it you said, Felicia? Like, what's that first bike of steak, right? Let's Mm -hmm. just sit down at something that might feel a little bit unapproachable. If you're doing anything 
with Felicia, I can promise you it's going to feel approachable, but let's just sit down and let's just take a first bite and see what God can do. Okay. Well, Felicia, I cannot thank you enough for being here today, for having this conversation with me. And, um, most of all, just encouraging, you know, primarily your audience as women, but also encouraging both men and women to know that, that they can understand God his ways. And that can then impact the way that they are discipling the people around them, specifically their kids. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. As a leader in the church, Easter doesn't sneak up on you, does it? Truthfully, you have been preparing for Easter since right after the new year. And you've continued to see your efforts ramp up as the weeks fly by, because we all know that Sunday is coming. You might already be anticipating Easter, but are the families in your church anticipating it too? Beyond the eggs, basket grass, and new church outfits, your church has an opportunity to anticipate the resurrection of Jesus together. While this season often holds evangelism and outreach, let's not forget to create discipleship moments for the followers of Christ already in our midst. And let's not fail to anticipate and remember the great work that's been done on their behalf through Jesus. So how can you resource your church to walk through Holy Week together? A Journey Through Holy Week is an eight-day family discipleship guide designed to give families a simple way to read, talk about, and interact with the truth of Scripture together during each day of Holy Week. The biblical content for each day centers on the importance of what Jesus did and said during the events of Holy Week, from His triumphant entry to His death and resurrection. Each day of the guide also provides a fun, engaging family activity and an opportunity to pray together. Included in this resource, you'll also find tools to share the resource with your entire church bodies. And for any family that really love what they see and they want to take their at-home discipleship conversations beyond Holy Week, you can encourage them to check out Talk About, the at-home discipleship resource from Moana. By simply using the code Holy Week, they will gain access to a 60-day free trial. This code has unlimited uses and can be shared with as many families as you would like. We are the people of God, anticipating the greatest act of humility and sacrifice the world has ever seen. Let's create a sacred place for the families in our church to prepare for the start of something amazing. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Marlon Washington and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard All Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.